morning. I'm going to open your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. <clears throat> a very unusual story. I like unusual stories. They don't bother me in, in the slightest. <clears throat> First Kings or Second Kings chapter six and verse one. And I used to make some my face. I happily live in a very obscure obscure world. No one knows who I am, and I'm glad for it to be that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and gospel. I pray you'd help us to understand your word and to understand your great desire for us to be saved. I pray you bless this uh, time, make it useful, and help us, Lord, to grow and to know you more, we pray. And thank you for your power and mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. <clears throat> and he answered, Elisha, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, uh, Sorry, I, I will go. And, and he, so he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Does that, did I get it right? Not your head was, yes? <laughs> okay. This is an unusual story about a a prophet, Elisha, who I don't imagine is living in a big extravagant house. <clears throat> and he has a bunch of these sons of the uh, prophets show up. I think I left my glasses somewhere. <clears throat> the sons of the prophets move in. And I don't imagine he's living in a house that's very big. I don't think, I think we often make mistakes when we have our own experience and then we read something that's from 2,500 years ago and then we project onto them that everything has got to be the same as it is right now. So this house that he's living in is, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 square feet and he has uh, all of the uh, things we have. And then uh, they're just complaining because it's a little tight. You know, there's 
it's a three bedroom house and there's six guys living in here and and they're just uh, that's not at all I don't believe the case at all I believe this is a very small thing <clears throat> and I can tell they're not you, you could call it complaining behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us it's too, too confined it's too small <clears throat> you could call that maybe complaining I, don't, I wouldn't criticize the people for that I believe that the house is probably as big as my living room uh, there's no mention of appliances or a bathroom or a well or a septic or any of that. It's just a, it's just a house, and that, that means a, a little thing. And it's not like they're going to build some palace somewhere. They're going to go knock down some trees and throw something on the roof and move in. Mosquitoes and everything. It's like it's not, we're not projecting some big thing here. <clears throat> they just want something simple. A sign of maturity is to say with Paul that uh, I, I have learned to be content. But it's not really always a sign of, mature, of uh, intelligence to say, I'll, 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 live in, I'll continue living in this inconvenience. Sometimes, if we have the means to fix a problem, it's a good thing to go fix the problem. And these young guys, I appreciate them. It's not the prophet's idea to go out and start chopping trees down. And he's, I, I'm just guessing that he's not a young man just like I am not a young man and what pops into my head isn't to go out and start chopping trees down I can think of like let's look and see what's in the you know lower end of the market maybe we can afford to buy something but these guys are like typical young men they have tons of energy they have optimism we're going to cut some trees down and make a house now think about it for a second what are you going to put on the roof I don't know. <laughs> will there be windows? Will there, well, how big was it? Are you going to make it? Oh, I never thought of any of that. It's just young men just have fire and optimism and energy. And when I read these guys, they're just, this is tight here. Let's go to the river and we'll chop down some trees and we're going to make a house. And uh, I don't know if they have a plan. I don't know if they have any kind of idea what they're doing. I have no idea what they're... I worked in the West Indies for a while and... <clears throat> The way you build furniture, and uh, this is a little a friend of mine, this is years ago, a friend of mine, he, um, I was working with him, this, a guy from the West Indies, and he was in Canada, and he was just trying to get enough work uh, so he could afford some basic tools and go back into the, where he's from, and uh, start a little furniture shop. And so he, I worked with him, he's saving, he's buying stuff wherever he can, <clears throat> and then he asked me, I was very interested in the gospel, and this guy was very keen on, on preaching the gospel to me. And I liked the guy, and he, he asked me to go down with him. So I said, sure, I'll go down. So I got a one-way ticket. And he uh, started a little shop. And it was so frustrating because the culture shock is so hard for a white person to go down there. <clears throat> and when you have an idea in your head of what you want to build for something, a piece of furniture, the thought of writing down what you might start building is just, they don't do it that way. He would, well, we'll start with the legs because that's on the floor. So he'd chop the legs off and he'd make four legs for a chair or whatever. And he said, well, you need a seat. <laughs> There's like no plan. There's no efficiency in how you cut things. There's no, it's just, you just, 
well, we'll just nail it together, I guess. And so he nails his things together, and he's building his very rudimentary furniture, and, he, and he's making a living. I'm helping him. I'm running a lathe, and he's doing stuff, and we're, we're buying stuff, but it was very frustrating when there's no plan, and there's no, there's no logic to it at all. It's, it's, it's haywire. <clears throat> so I don't doubt these young guys have some ideas. We're going to go out and just build a house. And there's no plan at all. And sometimes that really frustrates us. <clears throat> but they have tons of op optimism. They have lots of energy. And they think up a solution. We're going to go out there. And I don't detect any conflict here. They come to Elisha and they say, um, here's an idea. He doesn't shoot them down. He doesn't criticize them. He doesn't ask for a business plan. He doesn't ask for He just says, go ye. That's his word. That's what he says. Go ye. That's it. Period. It's a sentence. <clears throat> And one said, verse 3, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And I doubt they asked him because they think he's the strongest or he's the one that could chop the most trees down. I don't think he's the one that they think is, uh, has all the bright ideas. I think they just like the guy. I've raised a lot of teens to adulthood. And one of the biggest compliments you can get from any young person is if they want to be with you that is really saying something I know I know it's easy to screw up as a parent and it's really easy to wreck relationships but to build relationships and to make a healthy relationship is not easy it's not accidental these fellows asked him to go with them <clears throat> so he says verse 3 be content I pray thee and go with thy servants and he answered I will go. So now, so far we're up to five words, he said. <laughs> Two sentences. And he actually says four sentences. And the total number of words, he says, I think it's 36. No, it's 36 letters. It's 13 words <clears throat> in four sentences. They just ask permission. He says, you can go. They say, would you come with us? And he says, I'll, I'll go. And he joins them. And uh, it says in verse 4, and so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, that's the river, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. That's a, that's a little miracle. <clears throat> Elisha just goes, they, they, to, I don't know if you ever used an axe. Axe is a, not an unusual tool. It's a common thing, even today. <clears throat> iron head on a wooden handle. They have synthetic stuff and whatever now. But it's pretty common. And as he's cutting, it isn't uncommon for the heads to come off. <clears throat> it's not, shouldn't be too common. It's kind of dangerous when that thing flies off. And so the young guy is chopping and it says as one, what is it? Verse five, but as one was felling a beam, it doesn't name them. It doesn't matter who it is. 
this calamity can happen to anyone. So knowing who it is doesn't matter. The issue here is that this man is in distress because when it fell off, he realized that it's borrowed. And you'll see a last master with an exclamation mark because he's in distress. And he goes to the only place there is. He has no place to make a new axe head. He can't make that. Uh, evidently, he can't afford to buy one. And he knows that he can't pay it back. And so this causes distress, and he goes to the only place there is, to this man of God, and he says, it fell off. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. He cut down a stick, cast it thither, and the iron showed up as if, it doesn't say he, uh, it doesn't say it floated and went down the river and you know, they, they swam after it. Or it doesn't say it floated and, and uh, they had to take a stick and pull it to shore. It's like it's worded as if it just came right to them. And he said, therefore said he, verse 7, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Like he just, he just, they just, here's the problem. The axe is out there, I don't know where, somewhere. And Elijah just cuts the stick down, throws the stick out there, and then this thing returns right to him. And he just reach and pick it up. Like to me, it's like, uh, I, get, I get a warm, fuzzy, happy feeling when I read stuff like this. I know this stuff kind of bothers people, but I don't care if it said, and the iron didn't walk. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. If it said it came to the surface and it walked on the surface, or it came to the surface and it popped a sail and sailed to me, I don't care. I don't care if it says, and the, and the iron did fly. I don't care. It, it, it popped into the air and kept on going and did a somersault and landed in his pocket. I don't care what happens. And the reason is because when you start thinking about the claims, I remember a fellow I was dealing with years and years ago. He had an objection to God, Jesus healing a person, and the person being able to walk immediately. He had a, he had a problem with that. Because if you get a cast on all this time and you get off, and now it's going to take a while of you know, therapy to kind of be able to walk proper. But that's not what it says. And so his objection was that God couldn't heal a man and him be actually healed. I said, well, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> like, it says that the maimed were whole. You know what that means? Maimed is when someone's hand's missing and he heals them and it's like, doop. it's there. <laughs> if you're going to choke on a man being able to walk, you're going to really choke on a man being healed. The Bible says <clears throat> that the Red Sea was parted. And they walked on dry ground. I don't have a problem with that. You can do that. It says that Jesus walked on water. I think an axe had to walk on water. I think he can do whatever he wants. He says he's going to raise the dead. And he did raise the dead. I, don't have a, I just don't have a problem with it. <clears throat> I find it kind of a... There's a, uh, in, the, in the Bible, there's times where Jesus speaks something and the scholars 
you can see they're bending and they're 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 contorted and they're struggling and they're angry. And it says at the same time the common people heard him gladly, like they're rejoicing in the in the glory of God to just do the simple thing. The the fellow that they tore the roof up and they sent the little young guy down, the, you know the, the young guys send that paralyzed guy down in front of them. That's one of the stories. And Jesus heals the guy and he walks away and the common people are rejoicing at the glory of God and the, and the, the scholars are like bending and contorted and angry because they can't accept what God does. <clears throat> so it's a good thing to just let God be God and do what he wants and not really question what he's doing. Uh, we don't know anything. When God's talking to us, like if, if God's trying to explain something to me, he's like talking to an amoeba. And the amoeba doesn't really know what he's doing. I can't really comprehend what he's saying. So he doesn't go into a whole pile of detail. I don't know if, what the details here are. It doesn't give me the details. I don't need the details. It says that the thing swam. He just reached down there and picked the thing up. That's the story. And that's exactly how I believe it. I believe it's exactly like that. Now let's look at a few details <clears throat> on a few things. I'm not, this isn't dangerous or scary. I brought an axe handle, and I brought an axe head. This is a really bad axe head. And this is a yard sale axe handle. You have to imagine, this is a splitting mall, if I know anything. And splitting malls have never been my favorite axe. Splitting malls are brutal, like very blunt instruments required by people with more strength than me. And so I've never really used one much. I split lots of wood in my life, but I've never really got to, I've never really used these before. And you know, if a guy wanted to cut a tree down and he used this, I cannot imagine that being very efficient. I can see that the tree is gonna die of bruising before it ever <laughs> dies of bleeding to death. <clears throat> But that's an axe head, and this one is like really, really heavy. <clears throat> and they don't make these out of clay and plaster seam. They're not made of plastic, and even today in the days of new and improved, they make synthetic, you can see the leftovers of some resin stuff in there. This had a synthetic handle, but they've never improved the head. The head... Like, I don't know, I would never call this an improvement. <laughs> this, this form, this shape, this style. <clears throat> I've used normal axes, not this kind of thing. But they never really changed these things <clears throat> as far as the material. This is a rusty piece of iron. Iron, we'll just look at a couple of properties. Iron, they have a thing called density. Density is a, is a measuring the weight per volume. So everything's compared to water. Water is one gram per mil, or one kilogram per liter. That's how you figure it density. <clears throat> Iron is, uh, as you can imagine, it's pretty heavy. This is 7.9 is the density. So one mil, one square centimeter, would weigh 7.9 grams. And if you had one liter, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, that would weigh 7.9 kilograms. It's 7.9 times heavier than water. 
<clears throat> that explains why it doesn't float very good. This really doesn't float good. This is a really bad idea <clears throat> to try and make stuff out of that you want to float. Or have in your pocket while you're swimming. <clears throat> well, that's hollow. That's different. The total density of the whole ship is much less than water. Much less. But this stuff, <clears throat> it also has a lot of other qualities. So this is the 7.9 density. This, if I was guessing, it looks like oak. If it was made in the USA, it'd be hickory or something like that. I don't know what it is. It's oakish looking thing. <clears throat> and it's, uh, this material is, um, I think it's 0.89 if it's hickory, 0.89 for density. So this is much less dense. <clears throat> and there's a, a reason for using this material, and there's a reason for using this material for the head. <clears throat> Iron conducts electricity. It's not a superconductor, but it's, a, it's definitely a good conductor. This is wood, and it is not a good conductor. It's a, it's a poor conductor. It doesn't conduct electricity very well at all. If it's soaking wet, it has a, you know, it'll conduct better. It also, iron is, a, is a, uh, about 100 times more um, for, for conducting thermal energy through it. So the thermal, I can't remember what they call it. There's a co well, there's that, but there's a, there's a thermal coefficient of some sort that they have, some fancy thing that measures how fast heat will transfer through the material. Iron, I don't know what the number is. I think it was 93, and it's like watts per some other unit. <clears throat> and it's about 100 times more than wood. Wood, and that's why if it was, if this had high conductivity for thermal, and you grab this thing with your hands at minus 30, it's like, uh, you ever use tools at minus 30? <clears throat> They're not fun. You pick up a wrench and you go, this hurts, let go, <laughs> and it will stick to you. Iron's a good uh, conductor. Iron is malleable. So I don't, I'm not a blacksmith, but if I was guessing at how they would make a, an actual axe head <clears throat> with a, with a, by a blacksmith, you would pound a sheet thick and long and fold it over a form to form this tapered hole <clears throat> and then flux and they used to weld by hammering. That's how I would guess they're made. <clears throat> and so malleable means it's hammerable. It's shapeable by drawing, stretching, pounding. <clears throat> That's how you work iron. You know, they'll, they'll make it so it's easy to work by a normal you know, human, like a regular guy. They heat up red hot and it's easier to pound. But heating doesn't make it malleable. These are malleable <clears throat> at uh, room temperature. There's, there's cold, ro cold rolled steel and hot rolled steel. Iron melts at, at uh, 2800 degrees or something. So the properties in iron is very, very different than wood. <clears throat> and this wood is made by a whole different process. A blacksmith is a guy who makes this thing, he's sweaty and he's hot 
and he's and it's hard work and he's sooty and it's noisy. He's not like a librarian. Like, get a picture out of your mind of a blacksmith that looks like a librarian. That's not his life. His life is noisy and it's pounding and it's hot and sparks and kind of dangerous and kind of fun. <clears throat> People like young men. Young men like that. There's probably more men wanting to become blacksmiths than librarians. This thing is different, totally different. Let's say if you had a two by four and you wanted to make a one by eight, if it was malleable, you could just pound the two by four and it would stretch wider and you'd have the one by eight. But wood is not malleable. This is formed by a completely different process. <clears throat> you have to select the right tree with a good grain. You can see the living tree rings right in this stuff. And it's all shaped by taking away excess material. It's so different the way you make this. <clears throat> the head of the axe, the hole isn't just a hole. It's bigger hole on one side and narrower on the other. And this one I noticed when I was driving here. You said you shouldn't be looking at stuff when you're driving. You're, you're right. Well, while I was driving, I noticed that there's a wedge in it. <clears throat> I didn't realize it came with that too. But you drive this through the head <clears throat> and then you drive the wedge in and it makes it fatter at the top than at the bottom. And now it stays in. Let's, where's the water? We're going to get there. What we want to establish is that these things are very, very different. Now, one more thing. Is this an axe? No. Is this an axe? No. Okay. If I just loosely put this in here, is this an axe? Yes. Not really. Not yet. It's a trick question. If it wasn't fused in there and I started swinging, I would call it a catapult. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be an axe. <clears throat> but once this is fused in so that they're one, this now becomes an axe. So if I do this, no axe, and you have to use your imagination that I'm Superman, and I'm pushing it in here, and it's fused. So no axe, and now we have an axe. And no axe, and we have an axe. Isn't that magical? How an axe can appear and disappear just like that. <clears throat> it is. And we are just like that. We're, we're just like that. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and there lays a slab of meat. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so you have two parts. Is, is the slab of meat a man? In a sense. Is the other part, the spirit of life, is that a man? Is that a living soul? No. Just like this. 
And when those are joined, he, he became a living soul. That's the point. And the properties are entirely different. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. <clears throat> and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I understand there's... The, we're not going to get into a bunch of details, technical details on what makes up a man. I don't understand all of it myself. I have no idea. I, can't, I couldn't really talk with that. But for the sake of this lesson, I want to just establish one thing. That in us, we are, there's a, a material part and an immaterial part of people. And God made from the dust of the earth this body. And he breathed into me, into Adam, if you're alive, he breathed in the spirit of life. And he became something that wasn't there a minute ago. Just like these two parts, that's not the axe. This is not an axe, but put them together. The axe is, is now an axe. <clears throat> we are the same way. The physical body is made of physical matter. This body has mass. That is, has a, like, we use the word weight. <clears throat> it takes up physical space. This thing is subject to laws of physics. I can measure its physical properties. <clears throat> and that's the only part of me that modern science or medicine or COVID policymakers considers. Because they don't want to believe that there is an immaterial part. And proof of their position is the, based on the idea that... Uh, if there was a material part of me, it can't be measured by physical means, which is the only tools that a scientist has. And so the conclusion of not being able to measure immaterial parts with physical tools is that it doesn't exist. But that's like taking a tape measure and measuring temperature and say, well, that doesn't work, therefore temperature doesn't exist. The immaterial part of me is described as the breath of God in Genesis chapter 2 or the spirit of life, or the spirit of man in 1 Corinthians. But there's a spirit inside people. And that part, <clears throat> the junction of these two, makes me a living person. This part of me, this immaterial part of me, is not physical. It does not take up physical space. It's not measured by physical means. And so science assumes it doesn't exist, and many people do. But just as the axe head is not an axe, and the axe handle is not an, an axe, so is a human body without the spirit, not a living soul. It's a dead body. <clears throat> and just as the axe can be separated into two parts, so can I be separated into two parts. And one day I will be. That's called death. This spring we, uh, <clears throat> we've had chickens for years. We have lots of different animals. We've had cattle and and lots of pigs, and we've had chickens, and <clears throat> we had goats. That was a big mistake. If you ever, if you ever have the urge to, buy, to get goats, just come talk to me. I'll totally convince you <clears throat> that you do not want goats, unless you're some sadistic person who likes to just... Somebody, I think it was Peter Zosky, he described yachting <clears throat> as standing in a cold shower tearing up $100 bills. <laughs> 
on a lower scale, that's raising goats. <laughs> it's carrying up, you know, $10 bills instead. It's just as pleasurable. <clears throat> this spring, we bought an egg incubator. And uh, I put, uh, it only fits 10 eggs, so I put 10 eggs in the thing, and you plug this thing in, get it all preheated and everything. You put them in there, and all you, it does a turning by itself, which is a good thing. <clears throat> I would make a very bad hen, because I'm not very reliable at turning eggs. Because I made a homemade one first, but after the first day or so, I just determined that I am not going to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and turn an egg over, much less 10, <clears throat> for 21 days straight. So I bought this incubator, we put the 10 eggs in this thing, and then after 21 days, this miracle happens. And out starts to crack out of these eggs, this really, really ugly, wet, scrawny chick. And it's peeping and noisy and it's weak and it's falling over. <clears throat> and you put it under a light bulb. And in a couple hours, they are fluffy. Like if you were living in egg white for 21 days and you just popped out, put a blow dryer on you or just dried under the sun, what do you think your hair would look like? <laughs> I am not imagining fluffy. I'm imagining you're going to look like the greatest example of the strongest hair gel <clears throat> ever invented. But in a couple hours, this... Formerly really ugly, wet-looking, ugly thing, making noise and stumbling around is fluffy as can be. You can hardly imagine something fluffier. I don't know what a fluffier than a chick would look like. That's like the extreme of fluffy. If there's, you know, there's got to be a scale somewhere, the scale of fluffy. <clears throat> Chicks are going to be on the high end of this scale. And it's walking around and it sees food. It recognizes what food is. It's popped out. It's been in a black. It's been like this, like totally curled up in an egg. <clears throat> and when it pops out fresh, wet, you can kind of see how it would fit in there. But you might not quite believe it. <laughs> After it's fluffy and walking around, you put the eggshell up and you go, there's no way. I don't care. My, good, my wife's good at packing stuff, but she'd never be able to stick that thing back in the eggshell. There's not a chance. And it's walking around, it's fluffy, it's cute, it knows what food is, it eats the food, it drinks, it digests, it, it has fears. If you go like this, it scatter. If they start making little peepy things like they grab something that they really like, all of them are all making all kinds of noise and you see the, you see the, uh, Calgary Stampede happening in there. As they all run around happy and they experience pleasure and fear and dominance. And that's impossible. That is impossible. I asked my kids one by one, you know, can you imagine this thing was an egg? Like, you know what an egg? That's what it was 21 days before. And now it's looking at you. <clears throat> 21, 21 days before I had <clears throat> that point when they hatched, and we've hatched several batches since, <clears throat> but 21 days before this thing is walking around, I cracked, I had a dozen eggs. I cracked two into the frying pan and stirred it up and had breakfast. 
it was really good. And it never looked at me, and it never screamed when it hit the hot pan. It never said anything to me. It fell in there like it was not alive, like it was just as if it was not alive. It was just a substance, liquid stuff. Stirred around, it turns congealed, salted, really good with toast. <clears throat> What's that? Did you eat a chicken? <laughs> I don't, not yet. And all it was was a yellow blob floating around, a clear, sticky juice. And then 10 eggs went into the incubator. And then 21 days later, the brother of my omelet <laughs> is walking around looking at me. Now, I'm not sure how a scientist explains that. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, instinct is the behavior that scientists call things when they have no explanation for how it could be. They just say, geese, they fly south. How is that possible? That's his instinct. And you're supposed to buy that. You're supposed to be satisfied. Yeah, yeah, it's his instinct. Okay, well, where did that come from? Where in the process of going from a glob floating around, where did it, was it in there stored the knowledge of what food is and how to interpret sound? The ability to see and how to, how to interpret this vision? To know how to walk? Was that in the egg? I don't, I don't think so. I think there's a spirit of life in living things. There is a creator and there is a spirit of life in us. <clears throat> and we are living souls. And back to our story, the young man is in the middle of chopping down a tree with the intention of finishing this job of cutting the tree down. And before he ever gets to the end of what his intention was, the head flies off. <clears throat> Unexpectedly, I imagine. And it flew into the deep. And so we also, unexpectedly, or in the middle of our busy life, our spirit of life may slip away into the great deep. We're just like that axe. And we may never finish the job we're wanting to finish. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse uh, 19 or so. I'll just read a few verses. <clears throat> all go to one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again, including scientists. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? It speaks about Abraham when he died. It says, And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in an old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered unto his people. And then they buried him. <clears throat> it says of Isaac in Genesis 35, Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and his sons buried him. It says of <clears throat> Jacob, Jacob yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people and was buried months later in Egypt. In uh, Genesis chapter 35, I'll just read this one because it's a little more explicit. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 35, it's about Rachel. And Rachel always wanted to have children and she died, bearing, I believe, her second child. In Genesis chapter 35, verse Eight, uh, 16 and they journeyed from <clears throat> Bethel and there was a little way to come to Ephrath and Rachel travailed and she had hard labor and it came to pass when she was in hard labor 
that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. One day, the axe head slipped off. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 6 again, <clears throat> back to our story. In our story, <clears throat> once the axe head fell off and went into, was lost in the river, it caused panic. If you look in the chapter, uh, verse 5 there, it says, Alas, Master, and there's an exclamation mark in my Bible. <clears throat> and I believe that's because it was a real need for that exclamation mark to be there. Because there's a certain sense of urgency. When the realization of this, this is a, a borrowed thing. This axe head is borrowed. It's not mine. And he's accountable to, to the owner of this axe. Now this is the reason why science and modern people don't like the idea of there being an immaterial part of living things. It's not because there's lack of evidence. It's everywhere. Evidence is everywhere. Just open your eyes and look. <clears throat> Do you ever watch time lapse of a sunflower field? And all of them together move their head. That's all they show you. By morning, they're all looking that way again. They're anticipating the rising of that sun. There's pictures of the gospel everywhere. We just have to have a honesty in our heart when we see things we don't understand. To understand that maybe there's something bigger than me. Maybe there's things I don't understand. And I think a lot of people these days, like scientists and, and, and fueled by science, scientists, I should say, science doesn't, science doesn't promote that idea. Scientists promote that idea. That there's no immaterial part of us. But the reason I believe they do that is because if there is an immaterial part to us, it implies that there's a creator. And if there's a creator, it implies a responsibility, an obligation, a debt, an accountability. And people don't like that idea. <clears throat> so... We deny it's true, like little children. I don't see you. It's funny with children, but it's not funny with adults when we do this. When the world's in denial, when we're facing this prospect of seeing, now then this man, he understood that when that ax left and it was not his own, he knew he was going to have to give an account for himself to that owner. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, so then every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. And Hebrews chapter 9 says, it is appointed unto man, men once to die, but after this the judgment. And I don't make that appointment. This is an appointment. This is not God giving, asking me permission. If, if it's okay with you, I'll set the appointment for this date. This is a declaration that God has made with me and with you an appointment. 
And this appointment, it is appointed unto man once to die. After that, it's a judgment. And if ready or not, here I come. That's the way it is. And the idea, when that strikes into us, it would be very similar to this man here that says, Alas, master! Exclamation mark. Urgency. Something very pressing. Something very important. I don't think he said, alas, master. I think he said, alas, master, like very loudly when he understands the significance of what just happened. <clears throat> Turn to Acts chapter 17. We might have looked at this before. I use this verse regularly if I repeat myself. <clears throat> just, um, just ignore my dumbness. Just to allow me to repeat myself. In Acts chapter 17 is a very, very good set of verses. And this is where Paul goes to Mars Hill and he's speaking to the men of Athens. And many people find fault with Paul for this and, and the way he dealt with it. And it's, in my mind, there's no other way really to deal with these people. And when I look at the results he gets, it's, it's incredibly hopeful. Better than what I would normally expect if you went downtown today and you and you got a couple of people believing after debating, I think that would be pretty good results. But while we're reading here, <clears throat> Paul says in verse 24 in his speaking to the Athenians that don't know anything about the gospel. He says, God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath. He breathes into us the breath of life. It's not the same, but it is exactly the same in purpose. He gives us the breath of life and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And here's the purpose of the whole thing, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's our purpose in this world. Seek truth. Seek God. He says in uh, <clears throat> verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and he is the judge. And this is how Paul dealt with these people. But this says, God commandeth all men everywhere. Why? <clears throat> because all men everywhere. It doesn't say African men need to, those, those Africans need to repent. Those Chinese people, they need to repent. That's not what it says. It says all men everywhere need to repent. And that's because all men everywhere are sinners. And all men everywhere are accountable for, before God. That's why. <clears throat> and when this dawns on our eyes, when it dawns on our mind, they were accountable before an almighty God, holy and just. It'll cause the same reaction 
as in the young man we just read about. Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Everything is borrowed. My life, my time, my talents, my family. Everything is, and I'm going to give an account of all of it. Alas, master, exclamation mark. I'm doomed. And it causes panic. If I have any sense, this is the reaction it will make in us. In, the, in our story, <clears throat> the young man has the sense to go to the master. Master. And you know what the master did? The master goes and he cuts down what I believe is a living tree, living branch. And he takes the living branch and he throws it into that deep. What a picture. And the iron did swim. And it had life. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is, God so loved the world that he cut down a living branch, the most alive branch, the most valuable branch, the precious branch. And when he says he cut it down, it's separation from life. And that thing's cast into that deep to pay for my sins that we can live because he paid that price that I owe. And now all he asked me to do is just like the prophet tells the young man. Take it up to thee. You don't have to swim after it. You don't have to run after it. You don't have to go reaching a pole for it. It comes right to my feet. All he's asking me to do is repent. And just believe. So simple. So simple. Take it up to thee. Pick it up. The gospel's delivered. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And now our responsibility is just to simply repent and believe this. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel and the simplicity. Thank you for the patience of these people. Help us, Lord, to grow and bless this week. Help us, Lord, to be thinking about what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>